Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome out there to those in Blog Talk Radio land and those over at Rainbow Soul where Neil Blake is. I always love to give Neil a shout out because he's the reason I got started in radio 12 years ago. I, it, it, I always say this, I'm amazed at how long off the shelf has been on the air, but we want to thank our loyal listeners who tune in from around the globe. And for those of you who are tuning in for the very first time, we want to welcome you to this Saturday, the first Saturday in August, August 6, 2016, our off-the-shelf show. So thank you again for joining us. And we have um, we have a wonderful, he's written a book, but our guest today is active. And if you want to learn how to make your family stronger, and, and, and we can sit back and complain about things, or we can take actions and improve things and make them better. And we know community, every village, every community, town, city, state, country, the globe, it starts with the family. So you've come to the right place to learn. If you want to strengthen community, you got to strengthen family. Uh, you've come to the right place for that with today's guests who were excited to introduce to you in just a few minutes. But before we introduce today's guest to you, I want to drop this quote in your spirit, and it's by Helen Rowland, and the quote is, you will never win if you never begin. And isn't that what holds so many of us back, just getting started? You will never win if you never begin. And, again, that's by Helen Rowland. I hope that you'll give that some thought if you've been putting something off that you know you should do. And I also want to encourage you to get talking about putting things off. I love to encourage you to get a copy of my new book, Love Pour Over Me. If you love mystery, there's a mystery that starts early on after Raymond Clark, uh, the main character in Love Pour Over Me. After he gets, he goes from Ohio. He's an athletic standout in track and field. We we just kicked off the Olympics in Rio yesterday, and Ro, Raymond would have been a star at the Olympics. Uh, and the story takes place in the 1980s, but he would have definitely, he would have been at Rio, no doubt. So, he, But he's also academically very talented. And so he gets a scholarship uh, to a school in Pennsylvania, and then the mystery unfolds, I mean, almost as soon as he settles in. On top of that, he has a, uh, and this is odd that, about our guest today, uh, the work that he does, Raymond and his father's father is dealing with untreated alcoholism, and his mother left him when he was two. So there's a lot of conflict between Raymond and his father, and people hate his father at the start. They call him all kind of cuss words. But at the end of the story, if you if you re- read through Love Pour Over Me, you will see how not only Raymond and his soulmate Brenda, how they change each other, how things that happened to Raymond's childhood, going back to today's quote hold him back from from especially love uh you will really enjoy love for over me whether you like mystery or you value how we all of us literally impact and help shape each other we're teaching each other things all the time and we're learning from each other all the time so i encourage you to pick up a copy of love for over me it's in print and in ebook format you can get it at our website chistel.com c h i s dot com or Amazon, eBook It, Barnes & Noble. If you don't see it on the shelves in print, just ask the clerk for it, 
and they can get you a copy because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And so I thank you. I thank you for supporting uh, Off the Shelf and Love Pulver Me. And now we're going to go and meet our very special Off the Shelf guest. And today's guest is Glenn Warren. We are so blessed here at Off the Shelf. We've had Roland Martin on our show. We've had we've had people who've gone on to create their own television shows and do such great work. And we're adding another person to that list today. And so our special guest this morning is Glenn Warren. He's a single father, an experienced social worker, and the author of Chat and Chew. Love that title. Glenn is also the founder of Fathers Forever. It's a nonprofit organization that helps fathers gain effective fathering skills so that their, the relationships that they have with their children are restored to good health from a social, educational, and economic perspective. And Glenn has a bachelor's in health and physical education. He has appeared in the Rally News and Observer newspaper, and he's also appeared on local television shows. For his service, Glenn has received the Dr. John Hope Franklin Humanitarian Prestigious Award, the Light Radio Station Lamplighters Award, and several other awards. And we encourage you to visit Glenn online at www.afatherforever.com, which is spelled exactly how it sounds, A-F-A-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-E-V-E-R. And, again, that's afatherforever.com. He's also at achatandchew.com, and that's spelled as it sounds, A-C-H-A-T-A-N-D-C-H-E-W.com. Again, that's afatherforever.com. And a chat and chew.com. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Glenn. Thank you for having me. I'm gonna have to hire you to be my announcer. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is truly a pleasure to have you here with us to join a long list. I I I think that we've had New York Times bestselling authors. So we've just been blessed here at Off the Shelf and we, we're we're honored to have you join the list of guests we've had on the show. And I want to start by thanking you for the, the life-changing. When I was doing the research for your feature interview, I was like, wow, the life-changing service that you offer to society, when we help even any, any one of us, whether we're a teacher teaching a child, if we help even any one of us, we come in contact with so many people, just one of us, like we learn through social media. When you help one person, you're really helping maybe hundreds or thousands of people. So I want to thank you for that service that you offer to society, particularly men who need help uh, stepping into the role of being a father. So before, this is a question we ask all our guests, Glenn. So before we go into today's questions, can you tell our off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Um, I grew up in a, a small town um, in uh, called Benson, North Carolina, and that is about uh, 50 miles um, south of Raleigh, a uh, small town. I grew up in a, um, on a on a farm. Me and my six siblings and my two parents. Uh, we were we had a, a small farm. Grew up in the country um, um, where we raised cows and hogs and chickens and pigs, and we we raised our food. We ate. Um, my father was always part of my life. Uh, he passed away um, about five years ago. My mom was always there. Uh, so we had a good relationship with my parents, my siblings. We all get together now. And 
uh, I, was, I was a country boy. And then um, as I graduated from high school, I went to San Augustine College um, and got my bachelor's degree in health and physical education. And then um, somehow I kind of migrated over to social work and got involved in being a social worker. And that's why I retired uh, about five years ago, for 25 years as a social worker. So um, my life has been blessed with my family. We have a close-knit family. Uh, my parents, um, my mom was in an accident in, in, in June, um, and she died about five years ago. Uh, she died in um, September, and my father died the following May. They had been married for 45 years. Um, wow. And so we had a we had a real close knit family. Uh, my father sh- taught me, you know, all kinds of things about being a man, about being a father. You know, we were, we always didn't have the best relationship as I got older and was trying to feel myself. You know, kind of got um, kind of got distracted a little bit and kind of got rebellious, but um, I didn't go too far out. Thank God, and I you know found myself um, needing my father more than I thought, and he was part of my life mm-hmm. and. Um, and then I um, grew up, um, became a social worker, and as I started doing social work um, and started doing intake, started doing um, different things about family, and I would do um, an intake, and, and one of the questions that we asked all the time was about the person biosocial, his, his upbringing, his life. And a lot of times the, the box that was left unchecked was for your father in your life. And so that kind of disturbed me a little bit. There's all these adults now having all these issues, and one of the common denominators is they grew up fatherless. So a combination of things that um, really kind of shaped my life to where it is now. Wow. So were you told, like you said, uh, just just for clarity, you were told to ask people you worked with as a social worker, somebody – a supervisor, somebody told all the social workers to find out: uh, do, do they have a father in their life, or was that something you just decided to check no, on yourself? It was a part of you know, when we sit down to do an interview. When, when the person, the first person, person came into my caseload, I had to sit down and get the information about them. And we always ask, you know, your your, your age, you know, your your race, you know, your religion. And and and, we, and there's another question about biosocial, which means your upbringing, your, your family, your family history. So we, all, we always had to get the family history, and get the family history. Um, that's when I realized that a lot of people that I talked to, the father was not in their life, and that kind of stood out to me. Um, that the common one of the common denominators why these uh, these adults now, uh, was they grew up a lot of time fatherless. And they were angry, and they were mad, and they were depressed. And they, I'm not saying that's the only thing that caused them to be the way they are, but that certainly adds to it. And when I started doing, getting more and more therapy, um, then I realized that it's, it is a lot of, a lot of, the, a lot of the women were angry that the father was not there because they felt like their father didn't protect them, and you know, you know, wasn't there to, to, for them to, you know, ask questions. And some of the, some of the, the, the boys, the men now, they was angry. Um, because you know, let's feel like the father abandoned. Abandonment is a is a is a real issue for a lot of people, yeah. and it comes out a lot of ways. And and being abandoned by your father or your parents, um, and, you know, particularly men, because that's what we deal with. There is a holder. There is a father wound that 
the fatherless that brings when a father is not there. And sometimes we try to fill it with alcohol, we try to fill it with sex, we try to fill it with drugs, and sometimes that, that wound is not filled, that hole is not filled. And so there's a way you can, you can fill it, but you got to know how to do it. And we take our guys to a lot of classes to help them, because a lot of them don't have, they, they grew up without their father. And so that's been our focus on how do we help people, men and women for that matter, uh, get over this feeling of being abandoned by their father. And you know you can you can feel um, abandonment, and I, I think it goes back to a, a, a something from a spiritual perspective. But you can feel abandoned, and your parent physically be there. They just don't have time for you. They just right, they, exactly. They, yeah. They, yeah. They, they, so it doesn't. It, it's not always that the parent isn't physically there. Sometimes they're physically there, but they don't have time for you. And that could exactly. that could send a hard message too that they're physically there, but you you're not you're not worth my time enough. Work right. is more than you. Right. Uh, running around at clubs is more than you. That could send a painful message. Or your parent, like you said, could be dealing with an addiction. The the, the addiction or the illness I see as more important than you. So I'm going to focus on it even more than I'm going to focus on you. That, that can send a hurtful message. So <laughs> there might not be too many of us who aren't dealing with it at, at some point or another. Before we go on, at least you grew up on a farm. What did you dream of being when you were a kid, though, Glenn? When you were a kid, what, when you, what did you dream of seeing yourself becoming when you were a little boy? Um, I would actually, um, believe it or not, I would see myself. I saw myself preaching a lot, uh, doing oh. sermons. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, speaking in front of people, and you know, I, you know, I, 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 we grew up in church, and a holiness church, and we were at church a lot. Uh, my dad, we made us go to church, we, um, and so I saw myself, you know, in the field while I'm working, and you know, doing tobacco, uh, doing, you know, I, I'm in my own thinking, but I'm seeing myself preaching the sermon to people, and I end up, um, I mean, I'm a preacher. But that's not what I do full time. I still, you know, I, I do preach. But that's what I saw myself as. I kind of imagined myself. And then as I got older, of course, you know, feeling my way, doing my own thing, that kind of dissipated behind the other stuff that I was doing, you know, hanging out and partying. And, and then I came, really came full circle uh, as, as I got uh, in my college year and, and got saved and gave my life to the Lord. Then I started kind of preaching a little bit. But then when I started Father Forever, it's kind of the whole ball game. I'm still teaching and preaching. I'm just not doing it in the church uh, because everybody that comes to our class, they're getting a sermon whether they know it or not. Um, but, you know, uh-huh. I just don't say hallelujah at the end of it. But it's the same thing. My audience <laughs> now, you know, I just, my audience is not in the church pews. My audience is in the jail. Uh, my audience is in the courtroom where these guys are, uh, you know, there because it's like taking the church to where men are, Take the, taking the gospel beyond the four walls of the church. And that's kind of what. So I'm actually doing now my my dream that I used to do dream about when I'm when I'm in the tobacco field, I when I'm you know chasing the hogs or whatever we was doing. Can I? So the next question to ask before we go into more of the specific services that are offered by Father's Fever, and I have to give your website out again. There could be somebody who either tunes in live on the show or who tunes into the archives and. Some of your services might change their entire family. 
So the website, again, is afatherforever.com, and it's A-F-A-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-E-V-E-R.com. Spelled exactly as it sounds, afatherforever.com. I hope the people who are meant to find it, find it, because we, we, we just – we have to strengthen the family. So when and why did you start Fathers Forever, Glenn? Um, I kind of started it as in, um, like I said, I grew up in a household with my dad, and I worked in a system for 25 years, and I've seen the, I've seen the um, devastation of people, adults now, who are struggling with this stuff. With their, they grew up without their dad. And then I became a single father. And, you know, at the age, um, my, my wife and I was married 15 years, and, you know, we decided we were going to split up. And I said, you can go, but my kids are not. So I ended up taking my kids there was age 7, um, 9, and 11, and I became a single father uh, because I'm working in the system now, and I've seen these kids grow up without their father, and I wasn't having my kids as a statistic. And also because I watched my dad take care of me all my life. And so I felt like I had the kind of the best of both worlds of growing up with a father, my, growing up with a father um, and uh, being a single father and now seeing the devastation of kids who grew up without their father. So we kind of put that together. And one day I was teaching anger management class, and um, I'm teaching this class, and and I just had a thought one day of if you can make a person go to class for anger management uh, you know, for domestic violence, if you can make a, a person go to class uh, because they get a DUI for substance abuse, you should be able to make a person go to class who's not paying their child support. Because men, by nature, don't do things unless we make you do it. We don't go to the doctor until things don't, don't work. The stuff starts working, we'll go to the doctor right away. But we don't. We, we have this thing about not doing getting help until we're forced to get help. So I knew guys wouldn't come on their own. So I went to a, a local judge who was doing something similar to what I was doing and ordered them to another program, but I went to her with a very comprehensive program that we focused on child support. And she was a child support judge. And she loved what we were doing. She loved our classes. So she started ordering guys to come to our class. They would not pay the child support. She would find them in criminal contempt, and she could say, I could put you in jail, but I'm going to suspend this sentence and I'm going to let you go to fathers forever. However, if you don't go to this class, I'm going to put you in jail again. So that's, that's kind of how we got started. And we've been doing this for the last five years, and over 440 guys have graduated from our wow. program. 95% of them was ordered. We do have people, some people who come on their own, but most of them, 95% of them, are ordered from the court system. And when they get there, they're angry. They're mad. They're mad with me. They're mad with the court. They're mad with the ex-wife. But when they graduate, when they walk across the stage, you know, we've had 13 graduations over the last uh, five years. Um, and now we just had one. The last graduation we just had was uh, June the, uh, the 12th, I think it was, the second Saturday in June. And we had another 15 guys who graduated. And uh, we have judges. The judges that ordered them to our program, they, they're the keynote speakers at our graduation. They come to the graduation. We've had police chiefs. We have sheriffs. We have get, we, we make we make it a big thing. When they graduate, and we invite their families to come, their kids come, their community come, and we give them a certificate uh, for graduating this 24-week program. I, I, I've got to say, and, and, and kudos to you, and thanks for the work that you do. But I know a father is important, and you and you raised my dad raised all five of us, 
of us by himself, but our, our mother passed. I think it's important and critical for kids to have both their parents. So I know you said you raised your kids, but did, did you and do you recommend that if the father, whoever has custody of the kids, that they make sure the other parent has, they can see the kids whenever they want as well? Absolutely. My ex-wife, I mean, I, I had I was a custodian parent. They lived with me, but my ex-wife had access to them anytime she wanted to, and she did. She spent time with them, and she saw them. Uh, so I, I encourage the, the best parent is both parents. So I encourage guys all the time to make sure, um, you know, that they're in their kids' lives. Though they may be in another household, you got to get along with her. And we teach them co-parenting classes and co-parenting skills because you got to get along with her. She's, you know, you can't, you know, curse her out one minute. So you guys got to co-parent together. And that's what we stress in one of our, in a lot of our classes, is the ability to, to co-parent because the best parent is both parents. And so um, the, both of them need to be there. The mom brings something to right. the table that the father don't have. And the father brings something to the table that the mom don't have. Mom is not designed to bring these kids up by her own. Neither are fathers. We supposed to have help from, from the other person. You know, sometimes there's a death, and, you know, and, and it can't be helped. But you still, you know, have to have, you know, other people. In, 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 in. My family was so instrumental in helping me raise my kids, uh, even though they lived with me by my, you know, I was a single father. Single father. Um, my family was there, and my ex-wife was there, and and we we came to a conclusion. Now we had our own, you know, we first separated. We had our own beef and one another, and 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 but we quickly came to a conclusion that we're in this together, and we got to raise these kids. Uh, my my right. youngest daughter, my youngest child is 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 thirty one now. In fact, her birthday is today. Uh, she's thirty one, and my uh, my son is thirty. Three of our other sons are 35, and we came to a conclusion that we had to uh, raise them together, and so that's what we did. And you, and it, it's no longer about you and the other person, y- your relationship. It's about the kids, and a lot of people don't get that. They still think yeah, it's, it's about. It's, yeah. it, forget forget the two of you, y'all relationship. Right. Just erase that. It's it's right. about that, the kids. It's, yeah. it's, it's, what do you it's, think? Yeah, and where do you think the where do you think the concept now it's starting to change? I even see commercials where I see men like doing laundry and helping take care of the kids. But where do you think the concept of leaving raising children to women? I mean, almost solely, and that's still dominant all around the globe. But where do you think that concept came from? Especially when you consider that men literally controlled. Literally, literally, nearly every legal aspect of society. Women couldn't vote. Women couldn't. We didn't go to school. We men had the full reign of law. Where did this concept that okay, women should raise the kids? Was it that men didn't want to do it, or where did it come from? When we women had so little legal rights years ago. Well, I think. I think because women were years ago was a stay home mom. Um, you know, she took her she took her to the house, fathers out in the community, working door, whatever. And I think it just kinda of drifted in our society that women supposed to have the kids. And we just accepted that. I don't think nobody got a bullhorn to say, We're gonna you know, shout it out from the rooftop that moms wanna stay home. It was just a natural occurrence. And it happened. I remember um when I filed for child support, um when I went to get the form, 
to fill out child support and had on there, where is he working? Where is he work, where, where is he living at? And I had to cross that out and put she, because the form was even designed for the men to pay child support. So I said, y'all need to fix this. Because in society, sometimes by default, I think, that they just think that the raising the kids should be the woman. The woman should automatically have a custodian custody. And I don't know where that came from, but that's a concept. And a lot of society have them now. That by fault, you know, by default, that women becomes custodian. And, and, and maybe because if a woman is breastfeeding, then of course she's got the baby's got to live with her. But as you know, because she's breastfeeding the child, um, so I can't just by default in our society see that that women supposed to automatically become the custodial parent. Yeah, and I think it's 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 automatically it's your job, it's your job to raise the kids. I've I've heard people comment and say if they if a child grows up and gets in trouble. She didn't raise them right, and I'm thinking, well, well where's the father in that equation? Right. Even therapists right. did it years ago. If a per, if a person had problems, they would say something your mother did wrong created this right. problem for you. And I'm like, well, where's the father in this equation? So right. it was. I, right. I don't know where it came from, but when again, that women have so few legal legal rights all around the globe. In some areas, they still don't have hardly any. Right. How right. did it get here? Because men could have designed it otherwise, because they had all the legal power. That and I don't know, right. was it? I don't want to do it, so you do it. I don't know where it came from, but here we are today, and it's just still all automatically assumed. That's your job. That's not my right. job. That's, right. That my job is to make the baby, yeah. and then I'm out. That's your your job right. is to raise the right. kids. But right. we have to change that. We have right. to with, with more and more. Man, that's why programs like yours are so necessary. That when my dad was raising five of us by himself, I didn't see no other man doing what he was doing. Is that rare? Right. Yeah, it's, it's, is it's, that it's, rare? It's, it's, it's really that rare. Um, you know, uh, people compliment me. Thank you for being a single father. I want to say, you know, I, what I'm doing is what women been doing forever. Uh, y'all been y'all been raising these kids by yourself for a long, for a long time, and we we had to step up to the plate. Um, you know, the other thing is, um, even society now, there's a lot of programs for women, and there need to be a program for women. There's a lot of programs for kids, and there need to be. But when it comes down to fathers, because when you look at the issue, when you look at a lot of things that are going wrong in our society, it's happening because of lack of fathers. But even mm-hmm. people, the powers that be, who, you know, there's not a whole lot of grant money out there. To help fathers get back on track, you know, there's not there's not a lot of programs out there to help men get back on track. And I want to say, if you're gonna fix this problem, if you're gonna fix the problem that we have now, you have got to fix the ones who are causing this problem. Times, yeah. it's the men, it's the absence of fathers. When you look at society, yeah. when you look at statistics, that ninety percent of people who grow up in a household without their father, um, um. Grow up in a house. 90% of kids who drop out of high school grow up in a household without their father. Mm. When you look at all those statistics, we take all those statistics, 80% of them that grew up in a household without them, that end up in, incarcerated. You know, because these statistics, and they're, they're listed on our website. So when you look at those statistics, it's like 
Fatherlessness is so important, and, and the lack of it is causing so much damage. So how do we co- close the gap? you got to give programs mm-hmm. to people, to fathers, to help them understand their role. And right. um, if, you, if you don't do that, then you study, you know, you know I, I give an illustration all the time where we have a glass of water sitting on the table and the glass fall over, and we got our mops and we got our buckets, and we're cleaning up the water off the floor, and we're cleaning up the water off the table. But we forgot to stand the glass up. And the glass is the men. We've got to give them yeah. some services. We've got to give them some help to help them get back on track. And if right. we don't, we just, you know, we're just cleaning up the, 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 we're going to continue to clean up the mess. We're going to continue to clean up the mess in society that the absence of fathers is bringing instead of fixing the, the one who's really causing the problem, and that's the fatherlessness. Yeah. Before we go into your services, and I agree with you a hundred, a hundred percent. And there's, there's just these ideals we have that men are so strong, they don't need anything, they shouldn't show any emotion, any signs of weakness, and we see it in the news with, uh, whether it's acts of violence or whatever. The one common theme for all these acts of violence is, is, is the, the, the gender, and there has to be something that's done. And do, do men who do stay in the homes and raise their children or they're very active, are they men who grew up with a father in the home? And my guess would be they probably are. They've had that modeled for them. We've we've come to normalize something that's not healthy at all for anybody. Before I go into your, your services, Glenn, can you tell us, because I really think this starts at the dating stage. Well, my, my, my brother, one of my brothers told me, don't ever date a guy you wouldn't be willing to raise a family with because you never know what will happen. My father is the same thing. You never know what will happen if you're on a date. And then you, what, what happens, you get pregnant, and this guy is, is not a, the, the right guy. You don't intend to do these things, but you don't know. Right. Are there signs when women are dating? We, we get so caught up in what, how, what type of job, how much money does this person make, and now both genders probably do it. Men, how much money does she make, and how much, and where do they live? What kind of house are they in, and what kind of car they got? All this stuff that really doesn't tell you. You really need to know. Are there signs right. that when a women can look for? I don't believe in 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 the victimization thing. Women, we have to pay more attention when we're dating. Is this a guy? If we break up, he's gonna still be responsible for his kids. Are there signs that women can look for to see if a man will be responsible should they, if they have a baby? Are there any signs that women can start to look for, I'm going to love my child before my child is born, and I'm going to pick a good father for my child? Right. Well, I mean, sometimes the flags go up in our thinking, in our minds. You know, when you, when you talk to him, I mean, I mean, he can lie, but you can certainly ask the questions about relationship that he had with his mom, with his father, uh, you know, just when, when you sit down having a conversation, just pick his brain, just find out who he is, what he's doing, how he lives his life, what kind of relationship he had with, with especially his mom or especially his dad, um, you know, and, and of course he could lie to you and tell you all that stuff. And, but when you see flags, when things go up in your, I guess pay attention to um, things that, little things, um, so that, there's no tell to there's no no rule book what you know whether you can tell whether this guy's a bad guy or not. No more than just go with your instinct, uh, go with your gut, go with your feeling, 
and there's some flags there, you know, stop, put a check mark there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people tell me all the time, um, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes, you know, and I'm thinking some things that we call mistakes, some things we call mistakes are bad choices. And I asked a question in, in the book, is a choice, a, a choice, a decision, and a mistake is the same thing? And some people say yes, but they're not. A mistake is I accidentally stepped on your toe. I didn't see where your foot was at. Getting a DUI is not a mistake. It's a bad choice. Getting a girl pregnant is not a mistake. It's a bad choice. So we have to look at the choices that we make and stop calling them mistakes and really look at them and say, okay, uh, if I go to sleep with this, if I go to bed with this guy, there's a good chance I could get pregnant in the morning if I'm not using protection, those kind of things. So you don't leave things up to chance. You don't leave, you know, well, you know, I hope I don't get pregnant. You make sure that you have all right. your ducks in a row. So when, when you, when you, so if you get pregnant, you can't say, I made a mistake. No, that's a bad choice. So when yeah. you when we look at our lives, we start saying, okay, my life, where I am today is because of the choices I made. Now, I made some mistakes, but most of my my life now is the, because of the choices I made, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Because as long as you start calling them choices instead of mistakes, you can look at your life and say, you know what? I don't like the way my life is right now. And I can't. you you were so right earlier when you said about the, the, the victim. Because when we say we make mistakes, after all, everybody makes mistakes. So that's a, that's a victim mentality. But when I say I made a bad choice, now I'm taking ownership of yes. what I am. Yes. And once you take ownership where you are, you say, I don't like where I am. So I'm going to start making some other choices instead of calling them mistakes. So I tell the guys as well as girls, you know, just make sure, follow your, your gut, and also make sure that what you're doing, you know, and look at this guy and say, hey, you know, yes, he got a good job, you know, but how's his temple? How's his disposition, you know? You look at all of those things, um, and and you come up with a conclusion that, you know what, let's hang out for a little while, but I, I, that's not, you know, I don't think you'd be a good uh, parent to my child. Um, wow. if, if we were to break up, yeah. So those are some of the things yeah. that I look at. Yeah, you know, and I I think more emphasis uh, it's got to be put on that. You just when you said the choice, because a lot of times a woman will say, "I had no idea he was going to be this way," and you picking the, your child's father, and like a man's picking his child's mother. You you doing that? Yeah. You picking that? And then when it doesn't, the the woman is either not a good mother. Or the father's not a good, man's not a good father. Everybody plays the victim role and says, and I don't even know why he or she acts like that. You should have put a little more thought into it because you're right, picking exactly. your child, your your right. child's parent. Can you tell us right. about um, the services that Fathers Forever offers? Um, we 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 do a lot of um, we do twenty four week. It's a twenty four week class. You have to come one day a week. Um, for an hour and a half, and we teach, we talk about um, uh, legacy. We, we talk about uh, domestic violence. We talk about the, the, the destiny and purpose. Um, we talk about co-parenting, um, all those things that we talk about in the 24-week class. And at some point in time, the light bulb come on. You know, one of the classes that we teach is legacy. Well, actually, I bring my father's obituary. That's the handout that I use. And I go to his obituary, and I talk about my relationship with him 
And and I said, you know, some guys get freaked out. I said, one day we all gonna be in here. And the question is, what are your kids gonna say about you? Are they gonna say my daddy gave me the tools to succeed in life? Are they gonna say my daddy was a rolling stone? Wow. And and I also say, now now is the time that you prepare for your dying. What insurance policy do you have? Have you taken out a life insurance policy on yourself? So when you die, your kids won't have to go in debt to bury you. Mm. When you die, they, even though they're sad on the way Monday, Sunday at the funeral, Monday morning they head to the bank for $100,000 cash, cashier check that you left them. Now they can take that money and get an education and get a house, something, you know. So legacy means, you know, it's kind of like standing on your shoulders. Think about this when you when you're living. You prepare for the dying while you're living, and and you, and you give your kids something when you die that they can say, "My daddy really cared about me. My daddy just didn't talk the talk, but he walked the walk." You know, and so we talk about these things, and the guys they get quiet, and sometimes they want to take the obituary back, the obituary home with them. And I, I ask them why, and I said, "This is one of the classes that really helped shape my life, really changed that my kids really need me." And my kids, and I should leave a legacy when I die. Um, um, the other one we talk about is co-parenting. Um, you know, because I, in the book, I, I I have a lot of analogies that I use, that I get, that I got growing up. And I, you know, I never really thought about this stuff growing up. But when I started to share some of the stories I thought in the class, I would come up with stories. And these guys were, it's like you could see the light bulb come on. And one day I was sitting with some judges and I was telling them stories. And she was like, can I, can I get these stories? And I had to put the book together. But then I started putting the book together and I put a lot of these stories in the book. And, um, and one of them is called, it's the co-parenting is called The Blinders of Indifference. And, you know, I'm sitting in the courtroom one day and I'm watching these parents trying to co-parent. They're trying to... Um, Co-parent, really, and they got blinders on. You know, you put you put blinders on horses to keep them from seeing what they have the ability to see. So if you put a blinders on a horse, you don't want them to look around and see, you know, what's over here, what's over there, because you want them to focus on going straight down the straight down the field. So you put blinders on horses to keep them from seeing what they have the ability to see. We walk around in life with blinders on. We have the ability to see other people's faults. We have the ability to see other people's issues, but because of our own issues, our own blinders, whether there's unforgiveness, whether there's racism, whether there's prejudice, we walk around with blinders on, and we can't see what we have the ability to see. And I, I would encourage God to take off the blinders. Your ex-wife, you don't like her for some reason. So you want to help her now, give her extra because she's trying to raise your child, and she come to you with a little extra money, and you say, oh, I gave you $400, but I'm not giving you no money. That's a blinder that you really focus on, on, on only on you. It takes a whole lot more than $400 to raise your child. So we, we talk about all these things in the class, and, and at the end of it, you know, they really, really get, at some point in time, the light bulb come off. It goes on, and they get it, and they see it, and they go out, and they come back in with a job, and they tell other people what a job. And because now they're realizing my kid needs me. And nobody really told them how important the presence are. Maybe they never heard it before. I saw it all the time, but maybe they didn't. And, uh, you know, so we just, you know, in 24 weeks, we this is what we do for 24 weeks. 
uh, one of the classes we talked about, and we talked about it earlier, is forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of those things that these men, unforgiveness is one of the things that, that, that they have a lot of. They're bitter, they're mad, they're angry. And a lot, when you look at their lives, sometimes they have a lot of reason to be. But I tell them, at some point in time, you got to bury the hatchet. At some point in time, you got to say, you know what, it is what it is. My father wasn't there. And, you know, and now I'm, I, what, what, what he did to me, I'm going to make sure I'm not doing it to my child. Because talk about judgment. You keep, I think the Bible says it, you know, when you judge other people, you're judging yourself. So you keep judging your father for not being there. And the more you say, I don't want to be like my father, the more you become just like your father. So you have to forgive. And you got to move on. You know, we talk about abandonment. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, he felt abandoned. In fact, he said it. God, why did you forsaken me? That word forsaken comes from the same Greek word as abandoned. He said, "Why, God, why did you abandon me? But the problem with Jesus went through his grievance. He went through his abandonment, his feeling of forsaken. We know that because at the end he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus worked right. through his abandonment issues. He worked through his forsaken. We can't say Jesus wasn't, didn't feel that way because he said it. Why did you forsake me? So Jesus was going through a lot of what we go through. But the issue is Jesus worked through it. We get stuck in it. We get stuck in our abandonment. We get stuck in our unforgiveness, and we stay there. And the issue is we have to work through it. We have to come on the other side just like Jesus did. Mm-hmm. What, what was the process of of um, developing this 24-week curriculum like? And do you partner? Like, do you partner? I'm sure some men, like anything, <coughs> may pro- progress through it a lot easier than others, and some may really, really struggle with it, particularly when you think a lot of these men are coming into this program through the courts. They're not raising their hand and volunteering to come in. They're probably kicking and screaming and like, I know, I don't want to do that. So do you do you partner someone who has either gone through the program successfully and their life has changed and their relationships with their children is greatly improved after going through Fathers Forever? How does that go? Do they sit down in a classroom setting? Do you partner them up with different people? It's sort of like a mentor relationship as they get yep. to the 24-week curriculum. Funny that you asked that. Um, as we speak right now, um, we have class every Saturday between 10:30 and 12. Of course, I'm not in class today. I'm on the phone. I'm at class, but I'm on the phone <laughs> because one of my students is teaching the class. He graduated. Okay. So the answer to your question is absolutely right. We have what we call grad dads. These guys who have graduated through our program, and they come back, and they teach the other guys. They help me teach. So when I got stuff like this going on, they teach. Uh, so we have a lot of guys, and they, they come in, and they help me do the classes, and they encourage the guys. They sit back. They do one-on-one with them. And, um, you know, and we call that a focus coach. Well, this guy come in, and he really sit down, and, you know, they they, 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 they set up time. And, you know, he, he tell them, he talk to them the one-on-one. Because we've got the group setting, but we also need the one-on-one setting. 
and the grad dads, the focus coaches, they do the one-on-one setting. And um, a lot of guys and they, they at graduation, they stand up and say, I'm, I was mad when I was auditor, and I felt like nobody could tell me anything about being a daddy. You don't have to tell me not to be a bad dad. But at the end of it, when they graduate, they stand up and say, I learned so much stuff, and I learned so much that I didn't know. And I learned so much that I, you know, I was blaming this person and blaming that person, and I realized I'm here because of my own choices, and I'm taking ownership. And they stand up and they, you know, and a lot of times there's not a, there's not a dry eye in, this, in the room with graduation because these guys stand up and they pour out their hearts, and they cry, and everybody cries. The judges cry, we cry, the clients cry, everybody cries. <laughs> <laughs> that we got tissue in there because at some point in time, you know, the light bulb come on and they realize, wow, my kid need me. Yeah. Nobody, you know, then they say, nobody never told me this before. Mm. Wow. Again, it goes back to our the 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 ideal, the image we have that the father plants the seed, the mother raises the kids, and we know that's, yeah. that that it doesn't it doesn't work well that way. Can you share, like, top three fears? You talked about abandonment. What are some of the top three fears that new fathers, new fathers have? Um, Not being able to um, provide for their kids. Oh, I was going to say that one. Yes. I think that's why a lot of men leave because I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. And and then the the other one is if they have some issue with the, the wife, I mean, the girlfriend. It's easier to run and hide. It's easier to, to to get missing. It's easier out of sight, out of mind. So, you know, she has some issue with her, and she won't let him see her, the child, and, you know, so they get mad and say, you know what, the heck with it, and they just, they just move on. Um, you know, and now, you know, because of the child, the child support laws, that's not an option because they're going to come and get you. They're going to find out where you are. They're going to put you in jail. Um, and, and so there's a lot of, um, you know, so, and a lot of them, and also because they grew up without, they grew up in a household without their father. You know, so you know what I did it. It's no big deal. And so there's a lot of things that keep men from being responsible and doing the things that they need to do. But now with with child support laws, those options, you know, the, the child support can't make you have a a good relationship with your child. They can't make that happen, but they can make you pay child support. But so what we try to do is we come along, we come along with the court system. The court system got the, the hammer, you know. They got to reinforce it, and they deal with the behavior. We deal with the heart. We deal uh-huh. with this is the reason why you know because of my program won't work without the court. Because number one, the guys not going to come. They're not going to come sometimes unless there's a there's a jail sentence over their head. We got guys in class right now, and I go in and ask them, would you be here if the court wouldn't order you to come? And they would say, absolutely not. Mm. But when they when they start coming, they realize, you know, uh, that they need to be here. And so, you know, not, you know, being raised in a house without their own father certainly is the reason why, you know, people just kind of, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And, and you can go and go down the street or go down to another city, and have another child, and then he, you got kids all over the place. Uh, but yeah. do do you offer uh, support services to men who are engaging in domestic violence? That's another thing that can split up a home. Because I don't think anybody yes. should stay in 
in a domestic violence relationship to, to men who are either engaging in domestic violence or using drugs. I think some of us uh, write ourselves off. We either get to the point where we're like, we look back at our life and we say, my childhood was screwed up, I've made bad choices, and there's no hope for me. So we just like, we still breathing, but we checked out. But do you offer services right. for some people who might be doing these things and checked out? Uh, engaging in domestic violence or using drugs. Yeah, we have a part of our curriculum that's called VA, which is called we, do, we deal with the abuse and we deal with domestic violence. We also deal with substance abuse because that's a real issue. You, you're struggling whether we're going to pay my child support today, uh, or, or you know whether I'm going to hit this joint, uh, uh, you know, go buy me some crack, uh, some LSD, or whatever drugs that they own, and they struggle with that. And domestic violence is, we have a class of um, domestic violence, and we talk about domestic violence. Uh, one of the stories that I write in the book is called Power Surge, and that I talk about um, domestic violence. And I said, you know, a power surge is when you plug um, a toaster into the wall socket and there's a surge that goes back into the toaster and destroys it because there's a short circuit in the uh, outlet. Domestic violence, violence can come from anywhere, but domestic violence comes from within the household. So the, the the very power that's supposed to make that toaster work, now is the power to, to destroy that toaster. And I tell guys, you as a father, your job, your power, your job is to make your kids and your wife feel comfortable and loving. And that's the power that you have as a man. When you turn that power around and use it as an abuse, and now that, that thing that you're supposed to, supposed to be helping is is now the person you're supposed to be empowering is now the person you are destroying. This is your flesh, this is your blood, and you and this is your wife. You know that you are abusing because you're using your power. You know you're misusing your power. It's called power abuse. And we talk about those issues, you know, all the time about you know your domestic. And I said, go home and put your hand inside of your wife's hand. Stand up beside her and see how much bigger you are over her. And then how much stronger you are over her. Because your body is built to protect her, not to harm her, not to hurt her. That's your job as a man, to protect your family. And when you do use your, your structure of your body otherwise, that's abuse. And some you know, and I ask a guy there's a lot of guys in our in our program have had when I ask the question how many have been in our program, in our class, been a victim of, not a victim, but, but, but have been got a charge of domestic violence? And surprisingly to me, over over half of them raised their hand. At Ooh. some point in time, they've had a charge of domestic violence. And I think, why? Why would you do that? This is a woman, and sometimes they say they've been set up, but a lot of times they realize they haven't been set up. This is, you know, they might have been in a drunken state or, they can't, their anger is so out of control. And I said, there's, you know, there's no way you should be putting your hand on your wife or your kids other than loving her. So, you know, that's completely out of the question. And I said, I really, what, what I would love to do is take you in the back room and get a 400-pound man named Tiny, come in here and let him, you know, beat you up a couple of times and see how that <laughs> feels like. That would solve a lot of the problem, you know. I can't do that, but that's, you can't, you know, you cannot go around abusing your family, that's your family. That's your flesh and blood. And a lot of them say, yeah. you know, they watch their, they watch their dad do it. 
And I said, well, you know, you watch your dad do it, but that's not what you – as kids, they, they, they are victims of domestic violence because their daddy did it right. to them. Right. We, you know what, I, again, I so appreciate what you're doing. We have le- only about eight minutes left in the day show, and I definitely want to talk about chatting to you a second. Before we do, real, real, real quickly, can you tell us what each of us can do, everybody, to help raise better men from newborn baby boys uh, to, into confident, courageous, loving, creative, positive, intelligent men who aren't afraid to go after their dreams and serve serve in their communities. What can each of us do to help get a little baby boy there? Dude, as a little bit boy, it's, we, we we teach our boys at a very, very early age to deny their pain. Because when they fall, they're bleeding, the leg is skin, and they stand up and we tell them, you're not hurting, even though the blood is running down their leg. We t- we're teaching them how to deny their pain at three or four years old because they are hurting. But you said, stand up, boy. Stop crying. Stop being like a little girl. You're not hurt. I am hurt. I'm bleeding. So we have to, number one, don't give them a free opportunity to cry. You know, we don't want to sense it, no. But don't tell them they're not hurting. Because they learn how, so when they get 16, 17 years old, I've been told all their life to deny their pain. And now they meet their girlfriend, and the girlfriend say, I want to see you in touch with your emotions. You don't cry. So now we're kind of confused. And I call this the quiet storm because we have been taught as men not to share our feelings because, you know, we don't, men don't supposed to cry. I said, well, that's not true because God gave us tear ducts just like he gave women tear ducts. So we do supposed to cry. We need a safe place where men can go and find safety and be able to express themselves. And so at a very early age, teach, let, let little boys be little boys. Don't teach them that, they, you know, that, 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 that they can't deny, the, you know, deny their pain because they are hurting. And, and just, you know, just put men, even if they're single and the men are in their life, put men around them, your uncle, your granddaddy, your gr- somebody. Make sure that these, there's men that's around this little boy constantly that he can get what he needs from them. Maybe his parents, his mom, dad, not there for lots of reasons. But also, society encourage your your brother, encourage your 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 friends to get involved in his kid's life because maybe he don't understand the importance of being there. So society can say, you know, take your you know anybody in your family that you know he's not taking care of his kids. Call him up, say, hey man, have you talked to your son today? Encourage him on a regular basis. Encourage this is what we can do in society. We all have a brother. We all got an uncle. We all got somebody we know that's got kids that they're not in their kids' life. They may get mad with us, but call them up and say, What have you done for your son? What have you done for your daughter? Have you called them? Get on their case. Yeah. Make sure that they're doing the thing, you know. Encourage them. Sit down and have a talk with them. Say, Look, man, your your daughter needs you. You know, you you ain't gotta Condemn them, but just keep telling them over and over and over again to stay. So, you know, we we got to put emphasis on fatherhood. We got to change the narrative about fatherhood and these little boys, um, and for them to, you know, because fatherhood brings that strength that we need. 
Yeah, no, and I agree a hundred percent. A father, like you said, uh, and my brother has said this: you need both parents because, and you said it, a, a father is going to bring things to the table that a mother doesn't, and vice versa. A mother's going to bring things to the table a father doesn't. You, they they both just going to bring different things to the table. So you need them both. Can you give our off-the-shelf listeners, I mean, it, this show has gone by so quickly. I haven't even gotten to chat with you. But before we close, can you give our off-the-shelf listeners a brief overview of your book, Chat and Chew? Yeah, it's, it's a book. It's, a, it's 31 inspirational short stories um, that um, they, they're very short, but it talks about life. Um, the one called Crazy Like a Fox. Uh, I, I use a term like that, and I switch it, and I tell a story about it. Uh, for example, crazy like a fox is really um, a deceiving uh, um, saying because one thing, a fox, a fox is not crazy. He's cunning, but he's not crazy. So that word crazy like a fox is really deceiving. This is typically what I talk about the blame game, where we blame everybody else for our, our, our decisions. And I talked about, you know, Adam and Eve. This was some of our spiritual. This have to be spiritual because I talk about Adam and Eve. When God told Adam not to eat from the apple, whatever it was, and he did, and God came to him and said, why did you do that? The first thing that Adam did was blame God. He blamed Eve, but the first person he blamed was God. He said, the woman you gave me. So Adam blamed God. Then he said, Eve. Then he admitted to doing it. When God came to Eve, Eve said the serpent. But God didn't go on with the blame game. God said, no, I'm not going with the blame game. I told you that I told you something to do. So we 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 blame a lot of people for our own things that we do. And this one I talk about: stop blaming others and take responsibility. So that's one of the ones. Um, Praise the like for. So these short stories, um, um, baggage claim. I talk about, you know, we baggage claim. We talk that, that, that that's a negative sometimes, but it's not because, you know, when you travel, and I was traveling to Florida. And I had my baggage, and I got to Florida and realized my baggage was still in North Carolina. So I'm mad with everybody. And to talking to the, the airline people, asked, how are you getting my bags? And so I had to come back to the airport about two hours later to pick up my baggage, and I got it. And I said, in life, we chose people to travel with us, our wives, our relationship. And sometimes, we, even though we're living with them, we left them. And maybe we were in the same house with them. We left them. We left each other. Mm. So we got to go back and claim what's yours. Your sibling, your your brother and sister, who you haven't talked to in years. You got to go back and claim that. Because that stuff that I put in my bag is what I wanted. It's my clothes that I chose. My two, but that was stuff that I chose to travel with me that day. We we choose people to travel with us all the time. And sometimes we leave each other. And the thing about it is we don't even know it. I didn't know my baggage was left until somebody told me. So I had to go back and claim what was mine. So this thing was go back and get those relationships that you walked away from. That's your stuff. That's your baggage that you claim. Stuff that you claim, go get it. And so those are the, that's, that's one of the stories that we – so it's 31 of those stories just like that. I'm kind of doing a brief um, – uh, um, uh, I, I know because we we, we 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 have so little time. I got to tell you, I like chicken wings as well. The story about uh, clipping the chicken's wings and 
how that kept happening and the chicken learned to, to not fly. They say it's similar things happen to zoo animals. They an elephant. You can it's yeah. one of the strongest animals in the world, and right. you can literally teach it that that a, that a nail is stronger than it is. You right, can literally exactly. teach it that. So those, and, you those, know, I, I are, like. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, uh, I was wondering what I was talking about is reading between the lines. What I talked about earlier about being able to uh, when you ask the question about women, um, um, you know, choosing. You, you, you know the, the the father of your child. You know you ask about those questions. Uh, how do you how mm-hmm. do you determine? One of them I call reading between the lines, where you actually the spirit of development are being able to read what people are not saying. Uh, she it's like reading between the lines. You saying something but you're not saying it. So I got to be able to read and find out what you're really saying. So one of the stories I talked about reading between the lines, and I really talked about. Being able to discern and being able to be be observant, observe people's behavior, observe their um, their disposition, and that's one of the stories I talk about uh, reading between the lines. So these are like thirty thirty one of these stories that um, you know turn down the music that I, I can't see. You know, you're riding down the road and the music is too loud, and you're trying to listen to something. The first thing you do is turn the music down, and we that talks about focus and concentration. So uh, okay. Turn down the music I can't see. I like that title. So we that was Cat and Chew. Cat and Chew by Glenn Warren. We have we are out of time. And I'm telling you, wow. I wanted to talk a little more about Chat and Chew, but that this hour always goes by so incredibly fast. We, we we have had the pleasure off the shelf listeners. For those who tune in live, we get uh, we get most of our listeners through the archives after the show streams. But but our guest today was Glenn Warren. He's a single father. Uh, he has 25 years of social work experience. And he's also also the author of Chat and Chew, which we only very briefly touched on. And he's the founder of Fathers Forever. It's a nonprofit organization, and it is really helping. Well, actually, over 400 fathers to date, well over 400. So we encourage you to visit Glenn online at afatherforever.com. It's spelled exactly as it sounds. And a chat and chew, and you're going to love those stories, at achatandchew.com and afatherforever.com. We want to thank Glenn Warren for being here with us, and we want to thank him and commend him for the awesome work he's doing in his own family and in his own community, which is going to bless and benefit all of us. So we thank him again and go out and get a copy of Chat and Chew. Please come back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, New York City time to Off the Shelf. Tell everybody who loves stories to tune in to Off the Shelf. We've had some, we've had a, a, a winning psychotherapist with years and years of experience come on here. We've had people, business owners, multi-million dollar business owners, New York Times best-selling authors, people who you see on television every day have been on Off the Shelf. So we encourage you to, to, to tell everyone to tune in Off the Shelf, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Write it down, New York City, New York City time. See you next Saturday. Remember, you're awesome. You're amazing. You are incredibly blessed. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Glenn, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.